You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. My name is Jason Vallot, and I'm so excited to be here. And so cool that you guys got to have my dad here. Uh, how many of you saw my dad when he was here? Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. Hopefully it was okay. Um, I'm from Bethel Church in Redding, California, and uh, I've been there for 19 years. I know I don't look that old, but I started when I was 12. So no, I came on staff when I was really young. Um, and I, I first uh, started to oversee or, or worked in the church or the school ministry, sorry, started to work in the school ministry and was there for 10 years in BSSM. And then when Danny Silk abandoned us, and came to Jesus Culture, I kind of slipped in there and helped to take over the pastoral care and the counseling and emotional health worlds. And so that's what I've done for a really long time. And uh, just excited to, to bring that to the church today. But before we do that, I want you guys to see my family. Because I know just looking at me, you probably don't really trust me, but if you see my family, you might trust me a little bit. So this is my family. I have five kids. <clears throat> My oldest is 23 and he's married. His name's Elijah. He's married to that beautiful blonde girl on the right. And my daughter, Riley, is 21. My son, Evan, top left, is 18. My daughter, Edie, is three years old. And my son, Liam, is one years old. And so, and then of course, that's my beautiful wife. Um, Yeah, I miss you guys. Excuse me, I got a cough. I just love my family so much, and it's, uh, you're probably going, wow, he doesn't look old enough to have five kids and his oldest 23. I'm not. I'm not old enough. I started really, really young, and, and you guys might hear a tiny bit of that story, but yeah, so excited to be here. I know that I'm in Texas because earlier I walked out to, to use the restroom, and there's a lady out there with a gun, <laughs> just like full on her hip. And I'm from California, so I did. I just put my hands up and I kept walking to the bathroom. <laughs> but then I did, I, I started thinking while I was going to the bathroom, because that's what we do. I was thinking about this whole experience that I just had with that lady. And then I thought, that's real dumb. This is really dumb. Why do we have a lady out there? Like, I know that, is there anyone not packing a gun here this morning? And some of y'all are so crazy, you got two. You got two and you have a knife. (laughs) So I just started thinking like, do we really need her? Is that a necessity out there? So, yeah. But don't judge me too much because I'm from Northern California, which is different than the California that you're thinking about. It's different. So anyways. It's good to be with y'all. I, uh, this will be the first time I've come to Texas and not killed anything. So I have been looking all over the place. In my hotel, I scoured high and low for a couple bugs. I was looking to kill some stuff in my hotel this morning. I just wanted to keep the street going. But anyways, that's it. That's all I came to say today. (laughs) The question that I want to ask you guys, and I've been asking a lot, is... 
if revival came to the church, would we be able to sustain it? That's a, that is a real question on my heart. Because we pray for revival so much in the church, and we should. You know, we should pray for revival. We should ask God to come and pour out his spirit on us. But God's not the one that sustains revival. And I know that we think that. We like to think like, if we could just get God to come and pour out his spirit on us, everything would be perfect. My life would be changed. <clears throat> but I don't, I don't actually believe that that's true. I don't think that that's true. My history tells me that that's not true. You know, we've had several movements several outpourings of the Spirit, several places where God has come and poured out revival on his people. But it's not sustained, and in, in, in here's what I'm gonna propose to you. It's not sustained because in order for revival to be sustained, you have to have real connection. You have to have real human connection. You have to be known, seen, cared for, loved, understood. Because revival is, is meant to be poured out from person to person. And so much of the church is, is disconnected. And we've, we, that's part of why, if you look at why great movements have come and have fallen. If you studied revival history, right? Read God's generals. If you look back and see all these miracles, signs and wonders that have happened at the end of almost all of their lives, these great men and women fall. They end up in, in places of incredible distress. Churches uh, implode. Why? Because people aren't connected. They're trying to operate out of power, but not connection, not real connection. It's the, it's the challenge, honestly, it's the challenge that we all face in our culture today. We live in one of the most disconnected cultures. And we know that because we live in one of the most fatherless generations that's ever been alive, the most fatherless generation that's ever walked this planet where our dads aren't at home because they're at war, no. Our dads are at home because they don't wanna be at home. And it's created incredible amounts of dysfunction, disconnection, shame, guilt. And so the temptation is to come to church with your Sunday best on, right? The temptation is to come to church with this facade to, to, because church is where all the perfect people are, right? Amen? <clears throat> but that's what it feels like. And, and, and we have to do something different. I wanna tell you guys a story about a rat. In the 1960s, there was Scientists were trying to do some studies on drugs to find out how addictive are drugs. So what they did is they, they took these rats and they put them in cages and they put two water bottles in there. The first water bottle was just plain water and the next water bottle was uh, laced with drugs. And in their experiment, 100% of time, every rat would overdose and die. 
every rat would end up drinking the, the, the drug-laced water and they'd end up dying. And so as you can imagine, the conclusion for these scientists was that drugs are, have these hooks in them. That when you start to take drugs, when you use drugs, that the drugs have so many hooks in them that you can't, you, you end up just killing yourself. I mean, you have to have it. Well, about 10 years passes and a guy named Bruce Alexander starts to look at that study and he, and he thinks, I wonder what would happen if I altered it a little bit. And so he took rats and he built this rat park. It's called the rat park experiment. You can look it up on Google. And he put in there these cages and balls and other rats, right? So these rats could play, they could socially interact, they could uh, mate, have sex, have fun together, do all kinds of stuff. But he put those two same water bottles in there. And what's really interesting is that occasionally the rats would go and they would drink from the drug-laced water, but not one rat overdosed and died. Not one time. Not one. And actually most of them, rats would go and they would experience the, the drug-laced water and they'd quit using it. And Bruce's conclusion was that addiction has more to do with the cage you're in than the drug you're taking. See, addiction starts in our lives when we can no longer bear being present in your own life. That's where addiction starts. Addiction starts in our lives when you can no longer bear being present. You know, thank you so much for coming to church and telling me about addiction. I appreciate that. You're welcome. But see, the thing is, is we're the, one of the most addicted societies that's ever walked the planet. And when you get into the numbers, right, when you really dig down, there's not much difference between what's happening in the church world and what's happening in just the world. Whether it's pornography, whether it's affairs, whether it's obesity, See, your first inheritance was supposed to be an incredible inheritance of identity, belonging, love, connection, care, concern. When you were born, you were supposed to get an inheritance. And all of us did. We all of us got an inheritance. The big mistake that people make is that you think that you're the one that wired you. You think that you're the one that, that developed your ecosystem, the way that you see you, your self-confidence, your decisions. What you don't know, what most people don't realize is that your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-worth, your trust in authority, your trust in God, your self-respect, all of that was gifted to you. You didn't create any of it. And you weren't supposed to. See, it was supposed to be, uh, children are supposed to be a blessing, right? How many verses in the Bible about the blessing of children? 
God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis, I'm gonna bless you. And the very next verse he says, be fruitful and multiply. We know that Proverbs talk about children being a blessing, right? They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So many of us grew up in homes where we weren't a blessing. Where we weren't like children, well, arrows in the hand of a warrior. We were a burden. And see, when you grow up in a home where you aren't cared, nurtured, adored, loved, understood, addiction begins to start. Because, again, addiction starts when you can no longer bear being present. But the problem is, is you begin checking out before you ever even remember it. Things like ADD, right? ADHD. We used to think that that was a chemical imbalance. We used to think that 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 was a disease. We're actually finding out that that's actually the result of not being connected. That's the result of not being bonded. Everybody say bonded. See, what was supposed to happen when you were a child is you were supposed to bond so deeply to your parents that you learn how to regulate your emotions. You're supposed to bond so deeply with your father, let's start with that, that you get, this in, uh, you get this inheritance of identity. See, men, you have this question inside of you. The question is, do I have what it takes? Thanks, John Eldridge, for giving us that question. Do I have what it takes? This question's burning inside of you. And what your dad was supposed to do was your dad was supposed to give you love, care, concern, nurture, but he was also supposed to give you lots of challenges. Men, he was supposed to teach you how to fail successfully. He's supposed to teach you that you are not your worst day, you are not your worst failure. But more importantly, that you can do it. You have somebody that's cheering you on. You have a hero to look up to. And ladies, your dad was supposed to give you the identity, he's supposed to give you, send you the message that you are worthy to be pursued. Because that's the question that you're always asking. Am I worthy to be pursued? And nowadays, see, if you don't get that question answered, you will try to feel worthy of being pursued through all kinds of things, through your vulnerability, which actually ends up leaving us more vulnerable in a negative way than a positive way, right? Because I'll do anything to answer that question. And we end up living these lives where you turn 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old and you don't understand why am I having, making such poor decisions? Why do I not love myself? Why do I feel like I want to hide? Why am I sleeping around? Why am I using drugs? Well, you're not doing that because of the peer pressure. You're doing that because you're not bonded. You're doing that because you don't actually believe that you're worthy of love. But listen, for most of us, where you're at, the decisions that you made, good or bad, most of that is not, your, is not your fault. I know somebody in here is like, oh, please don't make them a bunch of victims. And you're right. Honestly, the worst thing that you could be is a victim. You don't want to stay, you don't want to be in the victim seat, right? Because the victim's the most powerless person in the world. You're the guy that's in the prison and you're the only one holding the key. That's a victim. But it's everyone else's fault. 
See, the way that you are wired is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. It is our responsibility. See, psychologists say that there's two types of relationships that every human being has to have in order to thrive. The first one is you need a deep, personal, one-on-one connection with at least one person. You have to have somebody that knows you deeply, intimately, inside of you. The good, the bad, the ugly. And then we need a, a tribe. The second one is you need a tribe to belong to. You need to, to have a group identity. And see, when we don't have that, we end up back in a ton of pain. They say that social, uh, or sorry, psychological isolation, psychilation, being alone inside of yourself is more damaging to you than smoking 11 cigarettes a day. Which seems really shocking, right? In the church, if, if, uh, if you were just out front just chain smoking every week, we would all, we'd have a bunch of concerns, you know? We'd come to the head pastor, he'd be like, hey, Cody, uh, have you had a conversation with Joe? I mean, it's just, man, you know, one cigarette, maybe, but he's the guy just out there chain smoking. Got a real problem. He, he drinks a beer every once in a while. He drinks Bud Light once in a while. <laughs> I had to, I'm sorry. But we don't think about it at all when somebody comes here for years and is emotionally locked up. Their husband doesn't, can't get access to them emotionally. Their wife can't get access to him emotionally. We don't really think about it. We don't think like, man, we really need to confront this. Man, this is, this is a massive source of pain. Oh, we typically look at all the symptoms. Like, oh, Guy's drinking again, you know? He's got to quit drinking. He's got to quit smoking. You got to quit looking at porn. Guys, girls, you got to quit looking at porn. See, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. I didn't come up with that statement. I wish I would, but it's true. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Because you can abstain, but it doesn't mean that you're connected. And unless you're connected, you'll always be at a place where you're having your, to use your willpower to stay on track. You're having to shame yourself to stay on track. You're having to put all these blinders on. Don't, don't go into the alcohol store. You know, don't, don't open up my browser. I got 92 different blockers to keep myself safe from pornography. We're struggling so much today in our society because we are so disconnected. But see, the thing is, is all human connection happens through the exchange of emotion. I know, all the guys just went, oh man, I wish it could be through the exchange of aggression, you know? 
but it happens through the exchange of emotion. That's where real bonding, real deep bonding happens. It's through the exchange of emotion. I'm, I'm fixing people's marriages today. Fixing your relationship with your kids today. See, when, when, I, when my little daughter and my son, three and one, Edie and Liam, when I come home from work, I drive up, I get out of my car, the first thing that they do every day is they go, Dad! They are so excited. What do they feel in that moment? They feel joy. They are expressing joy to me. They are so ecstatic that Dad is home again. And in those moments, what do I do to them? Do I go, howdy, kids. No. We're about to exchange. We're about to bond. I go, hey, come here. And I grab them and I throw them up in the air and I play with them and I roll, spin them, roll them, do all the things, you know, because they still like that. If I do that with my wife, she doesn't like that. You guys remember when you used to like to be tickled? Now it's like the worst offense. If you tickle me, you're going to get punched in the nose. My kids like that. They like just the threat of being tickled. My daughter always asks me, like, Dad, tickle me. It's like, wow. My wife, I start to, she's like, I will crush you. I will steal your soul if you even try to tickle me. All right, lady. All right. Could you imagine what would happen if I picked up my daughter, she's three, and I throw her up in the air, and she just goes up and down. I like shake her a little bit, what's going on? Throw her up in the air, nothing. There's this experiment called the still face experiment, you can watch it on YouTube if you want, where this mom has this child, child's probably a year and a half old, maybe two years in front of her, and they're doing this experiment. And at first, the mom's engaging with the child. The child's sitting in the, in the high chair. And the mom's laughing. The child's laughing. So they do that for about 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden, the mom no longer shows emotion. The child begins to try to get mom to laugh through humor. Mom won't laugh. She's just staring. It's really painful to watch. It's like it's super painful to watch. Mom's just staring. Pretty soon, the child starts to scream looking for a reaction, right? Because if we can't get positive, if we can't bond positively, we will go negative. We'll do whatever we have to do to get attention because we're wired for it. Pretty soon the baby bites itself. It's so painful. It is so incredibly painful to be disconnected. And see, we have this misconception. We think that when we got saved, right? We think that when, when we got saved, that we got connected to the body of Christ. You didn't. You got connected to God. And the, big, the big misconception that we have in the church is that if you get connected to Jesus, that that's all that you need. It couldn't be further from the truth. Do you guys remember Jesus is, sorry, that God is walking with Adam in the garden. You guys remember this? I'm, I'm preaching from the Bible. 
God's, God is walking with Adam in the garden face to face. He has this incredible connection with him. And he looks around and he goes, it's not enough. It's not enough. What's not enough? I mean, how many of you, if God showed up in your, in your house today, you'd be like, hey God, I gotta go. Church is happening at 11 o'clock. I gotta be there. We'd be like, hey, Pastor Braden, Cody, not coming today. God showed up in person. God's walking with Adam. He's hanging out with Adam. And Adam still feels a little lonely. Well, that's weird. Feels a little empty. Still feels a little disconnected. See, God's design for blessing God's design for all blessing was supposed to be to flow through the family. That was his design. That mom and dad would wire you, that they would program you in a healthy way. I'm talking about healthy stuff. Neurologically wire you to believe that you are worthy of love, of connection, of pursuit. You are worthy. Your worst day, you are not your worst day wired for deep connection. That was supposed to happen through the exchange of emotion. Through the exchange, you're supposed to, co- to connect with your dad. You know, your, your dad comes home and he says, wow, I, I felt sad today. Like, oh, tell me about that sad. That's the challenge with our emotions, isn't it? Is that they're not all positive. And we're just terrified of negative emotions or what we feel like is negative. The church is terrified of them. Anybody feel sad lately? One person. See, we don't like it. If I just said, anybody feel joyful lately? Anybody feel shame lately? Yeah? Anybody feel anger? Oh, God forbid somebody knows I got angry. God forbid somebody knows I felt shame. Were you trying to feel shame? Were you trying to feel anger? Did you wake up in the morning and you just think, you know what, today I thought I'd try out some anger. You know what, I think I'm gonna put on some shame today. See how that fits. Might throw in a sad song. And we hide all that stuff. Married couples, we hide all that stuff from one another. Is when you show up to your wife and you say, I feel lonely today. She's like, don't feel lonely. Don't feel, I'm right here. How could you possibly feel lonely with me? What's she feeling? She's feeling shame. But she's not gonna say, ooh, I feel shame right now. She's gonna go, how could you possibly feel lonely? You've been, you've been around me and the kids all day. You don't wanna be around me and the kids? I remember my wife and I were in the middle of this intimate moment. And she goes, what's wrong? I said, oh, nothing, it's, it's good, it's fine, it's fine. She goes, what's wrong? No, babe, what's wrong? I said, ah, I just feel really lonely. And she goes, oh, tell me about lonely. That would have been terrifying for me to do five years ago. I'm in the middle of this intimate moment with my wife. Pretty intimate, more intimate than I would like to uncover right here. But it's not actually 
that intimate of a moment if I don't really share what's going on inside of me. It's just a sexual moment. It's not an intimate moment because she doesn't really know me. She doesn't really see me because of this core belief that if she really knew me and see me, she wouldn't really love me. See, if you have a marriage that you love being in, it's because you exchange emotions back and forth. If you have kids that you really love being around, it's because you're emotionally connected. And anything outside of, of connecting emotionally just feels empty, it feels hollow, it feels painful. We have to medicate it. So I'm gonna give you guys four steps to connection. And I'm gonna give you some definitions from Brene Brown. And before you go like, Brene Brown's not a Christian. I know, neither is the guy that built your house or made your car or probably brought you food yesterday. But she has some really great definitions for these, so just bear with me. Her first definition, there's, four, there's four, four things that we have to do in order to connect. The first one's courage. She says, courage is the ability to share your story with your whole heart, being willing to bear your imperfections. Courage is the ability to share your story with your whole heart, being willing to bear your imperfections. See, if people don't know your story, your whole story, then they don't know you. And we like to come, again, we like to come to church. I'm harping on church because I've been in the church my whole life. We like to come to church and we like to just, I just want to talk about today forward. I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want to talk about, but see, the thing is, is you got a whole bunch of shame. You're not your worst day. You're not the temptations that you feel. You're the core values, the virtues that you embrace. But our stories weren't supposed to be these things that are ugly. Our story is what's made you you. It's part of what makes you beautiful. It's part of what makes you lovable. And in Brene's um, studies, she studied for five years the subject of vulnerability and connection. And she said the only difference between people who feel worthy of love and people who don't she said, people who feel worthy of love believe their story is what makes them beautiful. See, when I was young, this is so true, when I was young, all of my sexual experiences up until 16 years old were with boys, all of them. Every one of them. I had oral sex with a boy when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. I don't know why. It wasn't like I set out that morning, you know what I think I'm gonna do? Pornography, watching it with friends. All of my sexual experiences. But you know what, the, 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 the crazy thing is, I never one time felt like, man, I wonder if I'm attracted to guys. What's wrong with me? Because I had a dad. I had a dad that I didn't hide anything from. See, when I had oral sex with my guy friend, one of my best friends, I went home and told my dad. This is all I remember my dad saying. Now, my dad remembers more. The only thing I remember my dad saying is, oh, you're just really curious. Just don't do it again. This is not what we do. That's all I remember my dad telling me. I struggled for two years 
Well, actually, with masturbation, I was addicted to masturbation until I was uh, from 10 to uh, 15 years old. Completely addicted. But that whole time, I didn't hide it from my dad. This, this open relationship, this honest relationship with my dad. I remember I was struggling with pornography at 14 years old, really bad. I'd been struggling for a year, and every night my, when my dad would come home from work, or most nights, I would sit in the bathroom, and I would talk to him while he took a bath. It was just normal. I know that might sound weird to you. It was just normal. It was just part of our everyday life. I loved my dad. He believed in me. I, was just, I remember one night sharing with my dad. I was really struggling with pornography, and he said, hey, why don't, why don't you tell the family? Well, it wasn't like I had four other brothers. I had two sisters and a mom. You know, telling your sisters and your mom that you're struggling with pornography is not like, like that was a, I'm 14, you know? I said, Dad, do you, it, it was a year into it. I said, do you think it will help? He said, I know it will. So I was terrified. I remember sitting down with my sisters and my mom explaining to them what I had been stuck in. I had been stuck. I could not get out of it. Very powerless feeling. And that night they got around me. I remember them. They got around me and they loved me. They hugged me. They cried with me. They prayed with me. Honest to God, that was the last time I'd ever looked at pornography. That was the last time. See, people look at my story. They often look at me. People, this happens a lot because of who my dad is. They look at me and they think like, man, it'd be so awesome if I could be Jay. It'd be so awesome. The truth is, my story sucks. When I look at my story, my story sucks so bad. I had OCD when I was really young. I didn't know it. That's why masturbation became so addictive to me. I struggled with anxiety since 10 years old, as far as long as I can remember, but I didn't know that I was struggling with it. And by the time I got to, you know, I'm 24 years old. Well, by the time I got to 27, I, 27 years old, my wife left me, and so I was a single dad. Went through a nervous breakdown at 29. Was addicted to, to well, I had to get on medication to get, get out of my nervous breakdown. I got married to my wife when I was 30 years old, my new wife. We went seven years of infertility. Seven years of trying to have kids. And five years into the seven years, five years into it, she finally got pregnant, which was amazing. Only to find out that the baby died. She had a miscarriage. When I look, when I look at myself, I say this all the time, the only difference between me and most everybody that I meet is I had parents that, that believed in me. My dad told me every single day, you're special. Every day that I can remember to the point where I thought I was special. I remember digging up an anthill thinking, what's it like to be normal? I'm like eight years old. What's it like to be normal? What do normal people think? Because I'm special. I'm 17 years old driving across the dam and uh, in, across uh, Whiskey Town Lake. I'm 17 and it dawns on me. Oh my gosh, the only difference between me and everybody else is I believe, I believe that I'm special. I had a mom and a dad 
who could handle my imperfections. I had a mom and a dad that believed in me. I had a mom and a dad that didn't need me to be perfect. I had a mom and a dad. At 15, my dad came to me and he said, listen, I want you to make all of your mistakes at home because you have mom and I'd help you. That's it, that's the difference. My story's not cleaner, it's not easier. If you've been addicted, I've been addicted. You struggled in your marriage, I struggled in my marriage. If you've been disqualified, I don't know that I'm qualified to be a counselor and a therapist and oversee 50 counselors and clinicians. I lost my marriage. See, you weren't made to come through those doors perfect. You weren't made to come to Christ all clean. You wouldn't need Christ if you could get all clean. We have so much shame over how we were raised, the decisions that we've made, the stuff that's happened to us, your fault, stuff that isn't your fault. We have so much shame and we come into the body of Christ and we hide all that stuff. And we wonder why we feel so disconnected and we hide what we're going through from our spouse. And we wonder why our marriage is suffering so bad. And, and we wonder why we're we struggling so much to stay on the right path and we try to do all these artificial things, which I'm not down, I'm not saying, hey, don't put blockers on your phone or don't put a blocker on your computer or whatever to help you stay on track. I'm just saying, no, we have to do the real thing. We have to do the real thing. We have to live how Christ designed us to live. It says that he puts the perfect in a family. No, he puts the lonely in a family. Why? So that the, that lonely person would be known. They'd be seen, they'd be understood, they'd be loved, they'd be nurtured, they'd be cherished. But see, that's what God wants to do in you. God wants to, he wants to break shame in your life, not because he takes it away, but because you talk about it. This is what I've done. This is where I've been. He wants to take loneliness out of your life. I didn't even get past the first one. Holy smokes. I'll just give you the three steps. It's courage, compassion, authenticity, and vulnerability. See, God's big plan for sustained revival is in Acts chapter two, verse 42. Acts chapter two, what happens is a whole bunch of people are being saved. Big movement breaks out, right? People are being saved. And here's what ends up happening. We pick up on verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, right? Who's it talking about? It's talking about the church, everybody who's getting saved, new and old. And it says, everyone was filled at awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then it goes on to say, all. Everybody say, all. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were all together, had everything in common. That's pretty awesome. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, everybody say every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and joined the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily. See, here's what's supposed, here's, here's what's supposed to happen in the church. You're supposed to come in and meet a people who aren't afraid of your past. They're not afraid of your worst day. And meet a people who see you as a blessing, who you can share really what's going on. They broke bread together in their homes. They sold possessions to take care of one another's needs. You got a need? Yeah, I got a need. Hey, let me sell this thing. I got an extra thing over here. They were diving deep into one another's life. And therefore, they built these bonds, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. See, that's what God wants to do in your life. If you had a hard childhood where you weren't nurtured, cared, adored, loved, God wants to redeem that. But he's not gonna redeem it in your prayer closet. Because the same way that you get broken, you get healed. He's not, we wanna do that, right? We wanna just have it this between God and I. Well, you're still afraid of everyone else. All the, nu- all the nutrients of life was supposed to come through people, from God through people. God wants to take off of our shame. He wants to take off. He wants to rebuild a new belief system. He wants to rewire us and get us to the place where we feel worthy of love, worthy of connection, worthy of being cared for, so that he can pour out his spirit on us and we could be the body of Christ. See, we'll know that we're doing that. We'll know that we're ready when people come into the church and they feel welcome and open to share what's really going on inside of them. I wanna pray for you. You can stand. See, the Bible, the entire Bible is an invitation to connection. That's the whole entire thing. It's not an invitation into perfection or performance. It's an invitation into connection. And see, God uses vulnerability our weak places to be the greatest breakthrough. See, your greatest breakthrough in Christ was because of his greatest vulnerability. He's up on the cross, he's there naked. He's not all covered up. He's in a ton of pain. He doesn't want to be there. He was in the garden asking his father if there's any, any way that he could avoid doing this just a little bit ago. He's up on the cross, naked, in pain, suffering. They try to give him gall. They try to give him a painkiller. He spits it out. He says, no, I don't want to do this. In his weakness, in his brokenness, in his suffering was your greatest breakthrough. And he's inviting us into that. Paul said, in my weakness, he is strong. 
So Father, I thank you for each person here. Lord, I thank you that that's what you wanna do. You wanna take our greatest place of weakness and you wanna make it our greatest strength. Or do you wanna go into our childhoods? Or do you wanna rewrite and rewire our brains, our history, our past? Or do you wanna take our greatest place of shame and you wanna make it a weapon to get other people free, to get other people connected. And Lord, I ask that Midland would see revival, would see revival sustained because people could walk through those doors and go, I can share who I really am here. The love of God is really present. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. But Lord, I ask that we'd be the most bonded connected people on the planet, that we really would have something to offer the world, not just, not just because you're gonna save them, Lord, but because they're gonna get connected to a real family, a real family who knows how to love them, see them, understand them, and care for them. Lord, give us the courage to show up, to get whole, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.